It's political, Cub Reporter Maynard here. I don't get out on the political beat very often, but when I read and see things that I don't understand, I just turn to my friends, and one of them is Craig Danowski. How are you? Hi, Maynard. I'm angry. He's a guy who's been involved in a few protests. I've been involved in a few protests, and I was talking to Campbell from What Double J Should Sound Like, and he was talking about how the laws changed in New South Wales over the weekend so that he protesting at Keeps in the Open just by sitting down and being on a road, he could be put in jail for seven years potentially because that's changed. Tell us what's happened in New South Wales. The Baird government has brought in a whole new suite of laws aimed at squashing protest of various kinds. And as your friend Campbell was pointing out, squashing the kind of protest that is peaceful, non-violent, not damaging to anyone, not offensive to anyone... The kind of stuff that was pioneered by Mahatma Gandhi, peaceful, civil disobedience, non-violent protest, can, under the new legislation, land you in jail for up to seven years. This is really scary stuff. People often talk about, oh, creeping neo-fascism or or all this kind of thing in a really kind of hysterical or conspiratorial way. But these are the kind of laws that you would find on the books in non-democratic countries, the kind of laws you'd find in China, the kind of laws you'd find in Malaysia, the kind of stuff you find in society in Russia, the kind of stuff that you'd find in communities that we take the moral high ground and go, oh, we're better than them, we're democratic. But we have just moved away from the right to protest in the simplest and most basic of ways. But surely the police pretty much already had the power to block anybody up for everything because if you disobey a police officer, which can be anything, they had the right to detain you then, don't they? Yeah, but they didn't lead to seven years in the slammer. Like, yeah, you know, it's the kind of thing you would get taken to the police station, you would be charged, you would be released. You'd have your day in court. At worst, you might be given a fine or community service order if you didn't have any money, and that was it. Protest has traditionally never seen anyone actually given custodial sentences. So has this been triggered by some incident? Has there been some really annoying protesters that have brought a business to cause a major loss or something like that? (laughs) That's the the, the funniest part. Um, The Premier, Mike Baird, keeps talking about it as if people have died or that businesses have gone broke as a result of these kind of protests. But they haven't. The kind of protests that are going on that this is really going to stop are your knitting nanas are the farmers who are trying, the lock the gate kind of people who are trying to keep coal seam gas extraction going on on their farmland and protecting our food resources. This is about intimidating people. It's about scaring people off from participating in protests. So much of it is really, I think, actually about firing a warning shot over the bow of the this very grassroots movement of popular opposition to the miners, to the the coal steam gas extractors, Mm. to others that are kind of basically raping the environment for profit. And because what's been happening and what's really interesting is it is now conservative farmers that are protesting. It is now, there are knitting nanas. Your traditional National Party base. Yes, exactly. So it's no longer you know, your hippies and your greenies and you know, your feral whatevers, all the stereotypes of, of a traditional protester. 
I mean, we even saw that just recently in Sydney too in the protests about the lockout laws. A whole generation of people that I've never seen on a march before are suddenly becoming mobilised. These would be like business people that are being affected by these changes and can't see the reason behind it. Yeah, or even creative people like artists or even just people who like worked in pubs or clubs or security guards or glassies or door staff. So many people have had their lives affected by those kind of laws. You're getting these whole new generations of people at all ages that are now participating in their first ever protest. Even really religious people, I mean the Palm Sunday marches that we just had in Sydney on the weekend were the biggest ever. There were very devoutly religious people, Christians who are out in greater numbers than ever before to protest because of what's going on on Manus Island and so on and the way we treat refugees and asylum seekers. So on so many fronts at the local, state and federal level, there are people being galvanised into protesting against a whole range of stuff. And I think the governments of conservative persuasions have been looking at this kind of rising tide of civil unrest and civil disobedience and going, we've got to scare people off from doing this. This stuff's going to get out of hand because it's on so many fronts. So what can we do? Or is it already being done and there's not much we can do? The Bar Association is highly critical of the new laws and thinks that they are so capable of misuse and overbroad interpretation by the police to be able to basically arrest anyone for doing anything that they feel like, that I smell some challenges coming. I would really hope there are. There needs to be a bunch of challenges all the way up the line to the the constitutionality and the legality of these kind of laws. And also, too, I think at the international level, I mean, these breach fundamental human rights. Like I said before, I wasn't joking when I said this is the kind of stuff you'll find in Malaysia or in Singapore. There are grounds on many, many, many levels. And also, too, I think there's going to have to be a whole bunch of test cases. Heaven help Mr Baird if those knitting nanas do get arrested because they'll be hell to pay. And most people going, oh, look, I don't protest. I'm not one of those troublemakers. This doesn't really concern me, people would be thinking. Yeah, except there's a lot less of those people now. I mean, between climate change and what we're doing to asylum seekers, to what's happening with education, to what's happening to the health system and Medicare. It is possible you could find yourself wanting to protest about an issue, find yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time, perhaps not of your own doing, and find yourself being arrested because you were blocking a road because you couldn't get out of the way even. Exactly. And this is what the Bar Association's been talking about. These laws are so vaguely framed and vaguely worded as to basically let the police do whatever they want. And Baird is not apologising for this. He's saying, I make no apology for giving the police the powers they need to do their job. They're basically allowing them to define what doing their job is to stopping anyone from doing anything about anything whenever they want. I told me earlier that while this is happening for individuals, fines for companies on certain (laughs) levels have gone the other way. Indeed. Right at the time when penalties for individuals have been increased to more than it you get for a violent assault or running a house used for child prostitution, miners who illegally mine have had their fine reduced from over a million dollars, potentially maximum, to $5,000, which to any mining company at all is like less than a postage stamp. We're not just mm-hmm. talking about mild slap on the wrist here. We're talking about... They're basically 
being told, let her rip, do whatever you want. And if you do something wrong, don't worry. It's only a five grand fine. And again, what can we do? Is there people to write to? There's a bunch of different things. One is everyone using their various social media channels and using the social media channels of these people making the decision. You can drive Mike Baird nuts by posting stuff all over his Facebook page and hashtagging... Casino Mike. Yeah, exactly. All of the parliamentarians, members of the Legislative Council or Legislative Assembly in New South Wales that have been supporting this stuff, you can bombard their channels, you know, electronically. Funnily enough, petitions still really work. Tim Ferguson's a big fan of the telephone call. He likes to make the telephone call. Yeah. Telephone calls are awesome because they actually tie up the resources of the local member or the minister for resources or whoever it is that's responsible for the latest outrage. Mm. Having their phone lines clogged up with people ringing up to talk about how angry they are about these things, it's amazing. It, It can actually wear people down. So is there any point talking to the opposition at this stage? Because they're not in power, they can't do a lot. Opposition's knowing what things are the burning issues for the constituents really helps inform where they put their effort. So it helps when they get a chance to speak in a debate in Parliament, when they're at a public meeting, when they're being interviewed, then they'll know that the people in their electorate feel passionately about this proposed long-wall mine under a water catchment in their area or the proposed turning of a farmland which produces great crops into a bloody great hole in the ground. That kind of stuff, both the local member and the local opposition, they need to know what people actually give a damn about. And it's surprising. In these days of greater, faster communication and access to this kind of stuff, it's meant that things move more quickly and issues get moved more quickly. When enough people are outraged about something, there's actually more chance of something happening about it than ever before.